أهلاً يا جميع Welcome to All Things Arabic A podcast that tackles the key issues for Arabic teachers and Arabic learners in primary and secondary schools outside the Arab world mainly in the U.S. and Europe It's produced by QFI and hosted by me, Caroline Sibley or Usaza Karunin a former Arabic student turned teacher living and teaching in North Carolina In today's episode, we'll take a deep dive into proficiency assessments We'll focus on Avant's stamp assessment, just one of the proficiency and performance tools available. We'll be discussing other ones in future episodes. With us today, we're honored to host Rola El Sayari and Amanda Haji Manillo. Both of them have years of experience in the world language classroom and have since moved into administrative teacher training and assessment development roles. They'll provide their insights on what's working, what needs addressing, and how assessments are helping teachers here in the U.S., as well as what resources are out there for Arabic teachers. Let's start with Rola. Can you tell us briefly about your background in teaching Arabic and how you found yourself in the current role as Magnet Coordinator at Ames? Certainly, yes. I started my career, well, I grew up as bilingual, and I understood how challenging it could be sometimes when I learn English and content in English while my native Arabic speaker. So while I grew up, I traveled the world, I came to move to the U.S., I felt like it's my passion now to do a teaching career. So when I moved to teaching and I found the opportunity for Arabic Immersion, I joined there and I've been teaching for five years, and I eventually I came up to be the magnet coordinator at the same school. And I'm enjoying it. For our U.S. and global audience who may not be familiar with language standards mm-hmm. and language standardization, can you give us a brief overview of U.S.-based language standards and what tools you all use at the Arabic Immersion Magnet School or AIMS? Yep and what you all use for assessments. Yeah, certainly. In AIMS, we have different language assessments, and it has been progressing. So we, when we first started, we used like a teacher-created assessments, and we get together as a team. We sat down and we saw, we let's just start with letter recognition, letter sounds, and then maybe high-frequency words, and then the reading levels. Eventually, we are basing this of ACTful, but we found out STAMP is really helpful for us when we started beginning of the year and then end of the year we would see the progression of the language and I think it's really great tool to measure proficiency for students. So we won't be focused too long on the challenges as I'm sure many of our listeners are actual teachers of Mm -hmm. Arabic and who are really seeking answers and solutions. However, for everyone to be on the same page, could you quickly outline some of the biggest challenges or obstacles in assessing Arabic proficiency for your learners at Ames? Absolutely. It was before the lack of standardized testing, which is now we rely on STAMP, and that's really helpful for us. I think uh, one of the biggest challenge we have right now is sometimes lack of resources and incorporating that with assessing our students. The difference in proficiency levels within the same classroom in the same grade level is also an obstacle for the Mm -hmm. teachers and how to address and target differentiation for every student to make sure everyone has the opportunity to speak, listen, participate in the classroom as well. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the biggest things for the teachers and assessing them sometimes is hard um, for them. So understanding the rubrics and how to go into the 
these are the levels that I will need to assess on and this is how I can grade them maybe on it and this is where they start where they could be in so really relying on the assessment of the rubric for stamp assessment that's really helped them um, it will tell them like what areas exactly they need to target to be able to take their students from here to there to the next level the of next proficiency level. wonderful in each of the four skills Yes, in the four domains. And I think what the focus in our school is like more of interpretive, interpersonal and presentational to get a chance for the students to be able to speak and listen more. Mm -hmm. And eventually as they go up in the grade levels, like third grade and up, they start also incorporating like reading and writing as well. Thank you for mm -hmm. that overview of the challenges. So it sounds like teachers have access to really quality, mm -hmm. rigorous and effective assessments through yeah. STAMP. How do you see the current assessment process reflecting and supporting teachers in their teaching efforts? Teachers know the assessments. They know how to assess their students. I would say maybe there's a missing link between looking into the rubrics and the can-do statements. Reflecting that in the actual practice teaching in the classroom is sometimes tough for them. I'm not sure exactly where is the lack or the gap but certainly when we sit together as a team and plan together and this is a kinder statement this is the target levels we are targeting for our students let's reflect that on the lesson the task the activity it helps us create more creative ideas and incorporate it in the classroom but it's still a challenge for us absolutely it out. sounds like you're describing backwards design absolutely yes yes exactly okay yeah. do you feel like backwards design is a technique that all language teachers know about, have access to, practice? Backward design has been in books for education for years and years ago, but and many teachers maybe learned about it, not just know about it. It's always sometimes forgettable. But when we always have to remind teachers and give them that this new strategies or tools to like really plan with end goal in mind, it helped them. Maybe the practice itself is harder than just saying it. So easy said than done. Mm -hmm. um, so we really need to maybe as administrators work with the teachers about how we can design it. How can we maybe just incorporate that in our workshops and everything and model that with the teachers that would help them to be able to design their own lessons as well. What do you see as the positives of the current assessment tools? What's working? I love the strength of rubric in stamp. Every student will come out with their own rubric. Some students will be scored, for instance, two in speaking, but three in listening. So it will tell you exactly what they need to be able to move to the next level in their proficiency. And I feel like this is a great tool to be able to use it for, the, the teachers will be able to use it to address that. Uh, we have one of the amazing teachers, they are able to, she's able to integrate every speaking activity to all her students, irrespective of their proficiency levels. Mm -hmm. She knows exactly what questions she would ask the student and what answer and sentence stem and support she would give for them to speak up. Mm -hmm. And it really helps because it boosts the confidence of all learners is, um, irrespective of their, their mm -hmm. levels. When they're able to reach that level of proficiency yeah. that they're aiming for and yeah. they can feel that they've reached that level yes. and they've met their goal, yeah. that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. So where do you feel like assessment tools could stand to grow or change? I would say maybe dig deeper into the rubrics and see what can we do to support the teacher's design 
lessons based off these rubrics to be able to grow. I think the assessments itself is good, it's reliable, it's valid, has been tested by many researchers. Mm -hmm. And I'm very confident using STEM for proficiency test, but looking into the performance test, maybe the assessments for every day, the formative assessments in particular, I think this is another thing we need to look into it. One of the things that maybe I was um, talking about it um, to our QFI Institute and the Avant about how can we translate the proficiency levels into um, numbers into grades and how can we build rubrics based of um, the proficiency level for every lesson every task for the teachers to be able to grade their students accurately mm -hmm. there's always a gap between the grading between the language and the content looking into the proficiency levels for instance i have the no like novice high they use simple sentences if i would build a rubric on that I would maybe just give some support to the teachers as like the it's from one to four. Four is the highest level of the rubrics. That's where I want to see complete, accurate, simple sentences. That student will get a four. If a student will maybe do simple sentences with repetitive learned vocabulary or memorized words, that may be a three with little bit few errors here and there or mistakes. That can be a three if they can do just like one sentence barely did a one sentence, then maybe that's a two. If just vocabulary memorized, that's a one. And based on that, we can transfer this rubric into a scoreable grades. And when I did the scoreable grades, I looked into each proficiency level. There's a ceiling, there's a floor, and there's somewhere in the middle. Each one within the same proficiency level can be graded. For instance, we can do like 99, maybe 80s and 70s. But I would say having like a minimum and a maximum and let the teachers work within the rubric, it will definitely help them to be able to be more effective in rating their students. And I got this idea because I am like, right now I am an OPI certified tester as well. And just going through all these trainings, it's not an easy way to go. It's like a intense 12 weeks of training and to be able to rate the students is not easy whatever it's a speaking conversation or even a writing piece it takes a lot of efforts and a lot of time to be able to understand the proficiency levels and I don't I don't wonder why the teachers always struggle in that it makes a lot of sense so helping with rubrics on the proficiency level will definitely give them a better guidance about where to go from there but there's a lot of pushback against assessing sometimes in such a formal and standardized way because, yeah. you know, there's sometimes the worry that it might cause students to feel anxiety or, like, they're only learning for the purpose of a test. But mm -hmm. I don't think that STAMP is designed in that way to make students feel like that. And I think the way that they receive the rubric information and the way that teachers mm -hmm. use that information to build them up can-do statement by can-do yeah. statement towards proficiency, I think it's a very empowering method for teachers to be able to I do use. too, and I think that an anxiety level, when you talk about an anxiety in specific, I would say it's created more by the teachers. Teachers' personality varies so much. Some teachers got really anxious when it comes to testing coming up, and they want to prove that they are doing a good job, and mm -hmm. that's fair right mm -hmm. so just having these teachers talking about oh the test is coming we have to prep for the test that builds an anxiety for the students and that make them really worried about what they can do I do remember a couple of students in middle school they are amazing phenomenal students and they were saying oh we're not good enough I don't think we're gonna do this it's like why do you think you're not gonna do this 
you have been doing this since kindergarten, you are in seventh grade right now. I'm sure you can do way better than I am expecting you to do. Mm-hmm. But other teachers who are really like very calm, I wouldn't say laid back, they're just calm. They are really, really chilled and there's like supporting and positive energy in the classroom. Their students never felt anything. They were really happy about all that. So I felt like it's more of how the teacher feels transfers to the classroom mm-hmm. it's not about the assessment itself mm-hmm. in our school the, t- the students has been assessed all the time there's benchmark there's diagnostic assessments there's tar assessments the state exams there's so many assessments they're going through it really depends on how the teachers deliver that to the students so rola i know you've spent part of your life living in the uk yeah that growing up you're educated in mm-hmm. british school system in egypt are there any methods from Europe or from the UK that you think US-based Arabic teachers could learn to better teach the language? Yes, absolutely. Right now I'm doing my dissertation about TAM and I'm incorporating Arabic as a language about how to learn content through language because I believe this is the most effective way of learning language is to really to look into real life situations. So I've came across in my researches about the CLEL method, which is content language integrated learning. And it's a European based method and it's been tested and used by many European European, Scandinavian countries, as well as France, and maybe a lot more that I don't know about, but it was been very effective by teaching content, language through the content. Um, for instance, I would say science itself is having its own language. Um, there's Brown and Rayo uh, um, research article talking about how can we teach students science as a language. So teaching science through the lens of Arabic language is not going to be as difficult as people can think of. For instance, in our school, we are supposed to be teaching as an emergent. So a lot of pushbacks we get, and sometimes from the teachers, that is that how can we teach like photosensis in Arabic? How can we teach hypothesis in Arabic? I was like, okay, well, this is not an everyday language for a student to talk to a child who is eight years old, tell them what is photosensis. They don't know what's photosensis in English. So teaching and introducing that in Arabic, that would definitely also going to be okay if we can teach them in English. And then why do we teach them this way? Why don't we just tell them how radish grows? And then this is a real-life experience. They can look around them, explore a story that talks about people raised in the farm, how they can help their father. For instance, children help their father or their parents grow up uh, growing some plants and vegetables. And from there, they will be able to use this real-life experience to be able to understand what is a plant life cycle, what is photosensis, and make maybe an experiment. So I feel like this is one of the most effective ways you are using content language and getting it with what we call phenomena-based instruction. You are using the real-life experiences through storylines to be able to incorporate that. Mm-hmm. It sounds very inspiring. I'm definitely yeah. curious to learn more about the CLEL method. Mm-hmm. So I'll end with one final question. How do you see students impacted by assessments on their journey of language learning? Um, we have a lot of students have that intrinsic motivation to learn a lot more. So just giving them their assessments and to be honest, pretty much I would say it's impacted the, the impact I saw clearly in the middle school students, the older students, when they see the rubrics, they be able to understand and read it. Oh, is this where I am right now? I want to be there. So it really creates that intrinsic motivation for students to grow and learn more about the language. And really, I would say language is not just 
like a language to learn, read, write, and speak, it grows 21st century skills. It gives them the opportunity to be global-minded. It gives them the opportunity to be, as you said, long-life learners. Mm -hmm. And it creates careers in their lives as well, opportunities that they will never thought about. They can travel the world. So that growing passion and the culture they understand and learn about, it really helps them to move along. We just heard from Rola about how teachers and administrators are using assessments. Let's now hear from Amanda Hajimanillo, who works for Avant More Learning, to find out what goes into formulating these assessments we use. And just to say, QFI works closely with Avant More Learning, which develops and trains teachers how to use the stamp assessments in their schools to measure Arabic language proficiency. Let's start by finding out how Amanda got into this line of work. So I actually used to teach high school French, and I did that for about nine years. And then I went to work at the district as an instructional coach for K-12 through programs of immersion and world language. With that, we did a lot of uh, performance-based practices, things that drove to proficiency, collecting data and all of that. And I just really wanted to provide people across the country the opportunities for professional learning that we had in my district. So I joined the Avant More Learning team to do so and to just travel and provide professional learning for people who teach languages. As a language teacher myself, I have had the incredible opportunity to take professional development with you over the past two summers at the QFI-sponsored Arabic Immersion Institute. We always have a lot of fun. We do, and I'm so glad that I've gotten to connect with you and the Arabic teachers through it. Amanda, for our U.S. and global audience members who may not be as familiar with language assessments, can you tell us the role that Avant More Learning, or Avant for short, plays in creating accurate and rigorous assessment tools for teachers of Arabic? Absolutely. So at Avant Assessments, we provide a proficiency test. And so that is different from performance. Performance is what we're doing in the classroom. It's in a controlled environment. The teacher knows what the language the students have, and the teacher knows the content that they're teaching. So at Avant Assessment, we provide a proficiency assessment. So with that, we actually offer assessments to figure out what are kids transferring from what they're learning in the classroom into real-world settings. Yes, and I think that's great because, you know, as a language teacher myself, as a former language Mm -hmm. teacher, you know, really our goal is to equip our students Mm -hmm. with tools in the language that then they Mm -hmm. can step outside of the classroom and connect with their own local communities, Mm. connect with other students in their own Mm. school Mm. who might be speakers of the language, Mm. and, you know, connect more with global communities around the world. Mm -hmm. So our next question might be a little simple, but I know many teachers are wondering, what exactly goes into the process of making Arabic assessments? Can you tell us your secret sauce? Uh, Absolutely. And I wish I could take credit for creating the assessments. I did not personally do that. But we have a phenomenal team um, who uh, specialize in assessment production. And so they are very well versed in what is reliable and effective assessments. Part of that process is really identifying real-world purposes and context for students to assess in. So that's like one of the things with a proficiency assessment. You can't really teach 
to it because we really want to see can the students take what they know and transfer it into an unknown situation. So with that, we have the real-world context. Because it's a proficiency assessment and not a knowledge assessment, creating opportunities for students to use the language. But also, they're such a phenomenal team where they test out some sample items and see, based off of students' responses, is the item itself effective? Is the Do students need a certain background knowledge in order to be successful? Because we don't want background knowledge or cultural expectations to inhibit students' language proficiency. So really evaluating each test item to make sure that it really is showing their true proficiency in their linguistic abilities and not necessarily content abilities. Amanda, could you quickly outline some of the biggest challenges or obstacles in assessing Arabic from your end, the magical folks behind assessment creation? So, and this isn't unique to Arabic, but for all of the languages we offer, it is constantly monitoring and ensuring that our raters are being effective. So they go through a very rigorous process of getting trained, but then there's constant self-assessment and evaluation to ensure that we are rating effectively and adhering to the rubric. We also try to ensure that we're providing timely feedback. And so there's a lot that goes into just ensuring that we are being as reliable as possible. Mm-hmm. Raters or student samples, when students take the test, they will go and 20% of those samples actually get pulled at random to go through a second rating to ensure that we are being reliable across our raters. Yes, I love that. And I also really love that you all have been so thoughtful in creating your rubrics and sharing that rubric creation with teachers and in your role, traveling to meet teachers and teaching them how to use those rubrics to then inform their proficiency-based instruction in class, right? You know, even though we can't necessarily teach to a test, we can't You know, you can take driver's ed lessons online, but until you actually get in that car Mm -hmm. and you drive the car in the real world Mm -hmm. and that duck is walking across the road, you're not in that real world context. But I really love that Avant focuses not only on the quality of their assessments and how closely Mm -hmm. that is aligned with real world language proficiency, and you all reach across the table to work with teachers Mm -hmm. and teach them how to be autonomous in building that proficiency through performance-based instruction mm-hmm. in their classroom. You really have got both both ends of the equation. Absolutely. And teachers, I truly believe, are the people who, I mean, they're the front lines, right? They're the people who are bringing this beautiful language to students and bringing about global-minded citizens. I believe when we think about the language classrooms, they are the leaders in equity. Um, And so I just, it's my privilege to be part of that journey and support teachers along the way because what we do in the classroom truly matters in building proficient language learners. Absolutely. I am right there with you. Based on teacher feedback, what's working well with Mm -hmm. the assessments? So I think what teachers, because again, I also use the stamp assessment as a teacher. And so I think what teachers really enjoy is that at the end of the assessment, teachers have access to the data, 
that their classroom or their individual students are able to do. They are able to pull student samples so I can see what, if my student got a novice high, I can click and I can actually see what they produce as a product. And so you're able to use that for coaching students, for providing feedback to them. But not just that, we have so many resources. So yes, a teacher who gives STAMP can collect the data at the end and it shows an individual power up guide for each student. So it'll say in listening, you're scoring a novice mid, this is what you can do to score better. And so we take the burden off of the teacher of providing that feedback and talking through proficiency Mm -hmm. in a way that student is in student language. And so I do believe that they appreciate that. As a teacher who used it, I also appreciated that our Power Up Feedback Guide is free. It's a resource that even if you don't give stamp, you can use that feedback in the classroom. And so you can print it off and students can see, okay, if I'm scoring novice mid, this is what I can do. So it celebrates what they're able to do first. And it's say, hey, let's try this out. Try to do these things and see if we can power up your language. So I think the fact that it's not simply providing data, but providing actionable steps that can be taken back for the student and the classroom teacher on monitoring and adapting to the needs of our students. Absolutely. And that power-up guide is available in Arabic. I have seen it. Very exciting to have that incredibly useful and strong resource for all the Arabic language teachers out there. Also based on teacher feedback, Mm -hmm. it sounds like there's a lot that's going really well. Mm -hmm. Is there any place that the Avant assessments could stand to grow? So I think it goes back again to we are constantly trying to stay up to date. And this is a, we're in a continuous growth mindset. And I think that that's really important for all companies. So we constantly are reevaluating. We're going back and looking at questions that are on the assessment and seeing, okay, is it most effectively measuring student language production? Is it most relevant with the current times? And really using those real-world resources. So just keeping the assessment fresh, up-to-date, and relevant to students' abilities. We do offer two different types of assessments. So we have the STAMP 4E, which is elementary, or the STAMP E. And then we also have the STAMP 4S, which is for 7th through 12th graders. And so we really try to make sure that each one of those are relevant also to the age of the students taking the assessment. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that's definitely been one of the biggest challenges. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can relate, but as a language teacher, I think we often find ourselves at any age and stage for a learner. Mm -hmm. Like I started teaching at the high school level. Mm -hmm. I then moved down to teach first and second grade. Mm -hmm. And now I teach college, right? Because they're all language learners. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can be a bit of a challenge when the assessment content reflects an 18-year-old, but it's the only assessment content that you have. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't feel appropriate to give that to a 7-year-old. You know, even if it's beginner language, the content has to be appropriate. So that's amazing Mm -hmm. to hear that you all really focus on keeping that fresh. Mm -hmm. In your role as a professional learning specialist, what do you do to support teachers in learning how to lock in and teach effectively towards proficiency? 
So in my role, I specialize in methodology, so in effective instruction. But my particular wheelhouse is I enjoy sharing activities that spark joy in students. So it's going to be strategies that are not only research-based, but also just build that community in the classroom where students can feel safe to take risk with the language, which... Again, what you do in the classroom matters. So ultimately looking at how can we build activities in the classroom that are going to encourage proficiency in the language. Mm-hmm. Right. And if students are, are working on building mm-hmm. up that courage mm-hmm. in the language to take risks in the classroom, mm-hmm. we know that the minute they step into the unknown world, mm-hmm. it will take a lot of courage and risk-taking in the language as well. So it's amazing that you're working on building the interpersonal skills mm-hmm. alongside of the linguistic and the culture and the content skills. Absolutely. And we also do, so depending on the needs of the school, we consult with the district and whatnot. So um, I also lead proficiency rating. So how do we rate students on the scale from novice low to advanced low or mid? Uh, And I also help teams figure out how to do such work in their schools. So we don't want to just say, well, here's proficiency rating, but how can you take it into your practice with actionable steps that you can implement the next day? So, Amanda, I'll end with one last question. Mm -hmm. Nearly everyone involved in the production of this podcast and most of our viewers truly desire to see Arabic taught along all other world languages. Our goal is to create positive language learning experiences for students, so positive that they become lifelong Arabic speakers and learners. How do you see assessments working to support the study and teaching of Arabic in the U.S. and abroad? Because I think you guys are starting to expand outside the U.S., so first of all, I do want to say thank you. I like I may get choked up thanking you guys for this, but as an Arab American, I grew up in the South. <laughs> so it was just a very different environment. People didn't really know what a Lebanese person was. So I think the first thing is to recognize like what you are doing matters. And it's a huge thing. It's like changing the world for little Amandas across the world. Uh, and so little Amanda Hajis. Yeah, yeah, little Amanda Hajis are so thankful. Uh. Um, so that's why I so truly enjoy working with the Arabic teachers, because I think it's making a huge difference in terms of equity. Um, in terms of assessments, I think that what we need to recognize is back in the day when I was in school, these programs didn't exist. So the first thing we should do with the assessments is be able to celebrate what these kids are able to do. Mm. Like these kids are speaking Arabic. They are embracing the culture. They are embracing the people. Um, So first using that to celebrate and advocate for our programs Mm -hmm. and say, this is the students can learn Arabic because I think some people get intimidated by it. They see a different alphabet and they get intimidated and say, no, look, like, look at what our kids are doing. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's the, the big push. And so advocating, not simply like, of course, advocating with legislation and saying, look, this is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But then we can advocate at the state, create benchmarks by looking at our data and saying, this is what we expect a kindergarten or a third grade or a 12th grader to do. And so building those benchmarks and using the assessments to build more cohesiveness across the country and create more programs. Absolutely. That standardization, kind of the crystallization of 
if a school is interested in starting Arabic, mm-hmm. they know what steps they need to take. They have access to the resources. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's about finding teachers and community of learners that are interested and keen to learn this new language. Mm-hmm. But there's really a, there's a clear path forward for them in terms of building an Arabic language program and for students to be able to have access Um, to either, you know, maybe Arabic is completely new for them Mm -hmm. or maybe there's like a personal connection to it. And that is something that Mm -hmm. allows the students to feel incredibly seen Mm -hmm. and heard and celebrated alongside of their peers. And they didn't have that opportunity before. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I completely appreciate you taking the time today, and we are inspired by all of the work that you do, and hopefully we'll have you back on the podcast soon. Oh, I hope so. Thank Shukran. you. Shukran. And thank you to Rola Al-Sayari, who joined me for the first half of the podcast. It was fascinating to hear her thoughts on assessments and teaching towards Arabic language proficiency. Shukran Jazeelan for joining us in today's episode of All Things Arabic. This podcast was made possible by QFI, Qatar Foundation International, a U.S.-based organization that helps make the teaching and learning of Arabic as accessible and professional as other world languages. Join me next time when we find out about language evaluation in the U.K. and Germany. Subscribe, like, share this podcast. Please do let your colleagues and friends know about it and head over to the QFI website to learn more about opportunities, and resources available to language educators and students. Ma'asana'ma!